Hey guys, welcome to another episode of History Untapped. My name is John, and along with my two best friends, Jacob and Steven, we're going to talk about some of the coolest people, events, and things that history has to offer. On this show, we like to have a good time and kick back with a couple drinks. So I should let you know that this show is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Before we get started on the Donner Party, is there a song that you hear, no matter how many times you've heard it, that still gives you goosebumps? Hmm, that's a good one. That it, you know what? Hands down, call me crazy. Stand by me, BB King. Not BB King, uh, Ben E King. Ben E King. Sorry. There you go. Told you, music guy. No, no, no. And I knew it as soon as I said it. I was like, that didn't sound right. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually have two, man. Get it. I just thought about this. We have Gladys Knight and the Pips, Midnight Train to Georgia. Oh, good. And it's not just Gladys who's, it's my rule that I have to go see her before either she or I die. All right. So I know she's playing in Vegas. She has a residency there. So I better go see Gladys. And the other is a, it's a one-hit wonder from a band called the, the uh, Five Stair Steps and uh, Ooh Child. Oh, okay. Ooh Child. Things are gonna get easier. Yep. Ooh Child, things those, will get better. Are, yes, that's the that. one. Man. Like both of those, man. Just to this day, just kind of like lift me up, you know. So those are good. Good picks. Uh, mine what you, is uh, Riding with Private Malone by David Ball. Oh, dude, that one. I cry every dude, time. Dude, every time, man. That song just gets oh, me. Oh, my God. Why? Why would you say that? Dude. Steven, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am drinking Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And I'm also going to be drinking a little bit of Captain Morgan Spiced Rum, because why not? Well, what a coincidence. I'm also drinking Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, and I also have some Captain Morgan in my refrigerator right here. Shut up. Shut up. You are my soulmate, brah. And uh, Will is sober as ever. Uh, He'll be able to correct us when we are incorrect. Stephen and I are drinking Sierra Nevada because the Sierra Nevadas are a very important part of this story. And we thought it was... A fitting little tribute. True. And now I have to go get more. Two seconds. The 1840s saw a large number of Americans leave their homes in the east and travel west to settle in California or the Oregon Territory. Some of these people left for religious freedoms. Some left to try and make a better life for their families. Some left because of their belief in manifest destiny, which was uh, it was the idea that European immigrants owned all the land between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans, and it was their destiny to settle it, basically no matter who was already there or who already was living there and owned it. Techni- owned it. Uh, we were like, yeah, well, we're white. They're not. 
Um, God says we can have this, I think. According so, to our parts of the New yeah, Testament. Yeah, according to our God, you know, they, Jesus says we can have this. Um, Jesus so, says y'all get the out. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and who are we to question Jesus? And who? Yeah, exactly. Who are we to question Jesus? True. Hey Zeus, man, he's my bro. Didn't Jesus say to love everybody? Ah, fuck that. That's uh. Nah, he hates everyone now. I don't know if you know that, but <laughs> no, no, no. He never said that. They're all terrible people. Um, many of the pioneers traveled to Independence, Missouri, where they would join up with a wagon train and then depart on the Oregon Trail. Hopefully, they didn't die of dysentery. If you've ever played the game, then you know just how dangerous. I did not read ahead. I'm not even gonna lie. <laughs> that would be magic. <clears throat> then you know just how dangerous an adventure this was. Wagon trains could only manage about 15 miles a day on a good day, and the journey usually took between four and six months. Dude, I think we could run 15 miles. In yeah, a day. You, you could like, do it by yourself, maybe. But I mean, like. If you went in the summer and you had a rifle and you had a, a backpack and a couple canteens, yeah, I'm sure you could. I mean, a lot of people went on horseback by themselves, but with a wagon train and with oxen wagging. carrying wagon. I mean, you, you have yeah, all you went in big groups. Possessions, Jesus's possessions are in your wagons. You know. So speaking of the Oregon Trail game, though, they make it in a card game now. No. And we've been playing it as a card game. Out of maybe 20 games, one person that's come over and, like, played in a group has gotten through it. I have died multiple times playing the game on my very first turn. This interesting, bro. Yeah, Don't it's ending water. <laughs> it is just as hard as it was back in the fucking late 90s, early 2000s. It has not gotten any easier. <laughs> that shit's crazy, <laughs> Like, I'm going to say it one more time. Can you even imagine? It's estimated that between 6 to 10% of the travelers on the Oregon Trail would die before reaching their destination. Now, records back then weren't exactly great, but it's also estimated that around 350,000 people attempted the journey and about 10%, 35,000 perished on the 2,000-mile trail. So around 10 to 15 people died per mile on average. That's pretty. That's pretty wild, man. That's a wild stat. That's insane, dude. Absolute wild stat. I, I I think what we need to do is look up and see how that compares to like the Trail of Tears, which was a much smaller journey, but yet yeah, had. Well, yeah, had but they were also. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit different. This was a journey by choice. And they're prepared. No, for absolutely. It. Whereas Trail of Tears, it was not choice, and so they were not prepared I'm, for that. I'm not talking about. <laughs> I'm not talking about why they were on a trail. You just mean, you just mean like statistically, like the percentages. I gotta yeah. look up. In the spring of 1846, George Donner and James Reed joined a large wagon train leaving Independence to head west. The two families combined had nine wagons and 32 members, including teamsters and other hired hands. The two families left late in the traveling season and ended up at the very back of a wagon train. So they kind of fucked up from the start where okay, like so they got there late and they were like, well, we can still make it if we stay with this wagon train. And they were like, well, we're going to get the back. But at least it was a this was a big, big wagon train from everything I read. So they were like, well, safety numbers, we're all going to go together. Like 
we can still, there is still time. It's late, but there is still plenty of time. We're going to be fine. Basically, they're like. This, this independence was the place that everybody left from for years and years and years. So they were like, yeah, you should be fine. Also on the game, uh, the Oregon Trail. Exactly. The, 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 organ, the game is pretty it's accurate. Really the all organs. of it. Yep. Um, yeah, basically, these guys were like the Beckys and, sorry, that's me. But I don't care. So yeah, the Beckys yeah. and Brindis of the world who are like, we're going to stop at Starbucks real quick, even though we know that, like, we have to be at work in 10 minutes and it's going to take 20 minutes to get through this line. Like, Yeah, that's... except they were like, oh, we're just going to put it off six weeks, even though we could die. You know, it's yeah. fine. No big deal. We'll stop and get our lattes. Is that gay enough? Am I getting gear? <laughs> You're getting gear, yeah. Perfect. Someone's got to make up for a missing other one. So the first casualty of the Donner Party was James Reed's mother-in-law, Sarah Keyes. Is that a bad thing? She was already suffering from advanced tuberculosis, and Reed was hoping that the California climate would help her condition. I almost had died. She died on May 29th, 1846, at the age of 70. Oh, she, didn't get very, she didn't get very far. But at the same time, I mean, a 70-year-old woman, I mean, in today's with, with advanced tuberculosis... Like, in, in today's standards, she's not that old. But, like, back then, I don't know. 70 back then with tuberculosis? That's old as hell. Good honor. Dude. 70 years of tuberculosis. 1846, I'm trying to think. Like, so she was Seven, born. 1776. She, yeah, she was born. The, the, the year, year our country was born. So, so do you so find anything on the Trail of Tears? I did, and percentage-wise, it's not even close. Like, far less people um, uh, were obviously on the Trail of Tears, but percentage-wise of deaths was closer to, like, 20 to 25% versus the, Ooh. Uh, oh, wow. you know, 10%. So, Thanks. yeah. Yeah, but again, they were forced, and... That's right. And oh, absolutely. I was just shot. I mean, it was... Well, because we were like, wow, man, I, did, I can't believe so many people died. And I was like, wait a minute. It's actually not pretty bad when you compare it to other, like, you know, events. Well, but Yeah, but again, it, it's circumstances. Sure. Well, Definitely. speaking of location, speaking of location, okay, about a week later, the Donner Party caught up to the rest of the train, and they joined the other 50 or so wagons led by William T. Russell. And then that group traveled together for about 450 miles and made it about 200 miles from Fort Laramie in Wyoming before they were delayed by heavy rains and rising rivers that blocked their path. On July 12th, the Donner Party was approached by a man on horseback carrying a letter from another man named Lansford Hastings. In the letter, Hastings told the travelers that they should expect opposition from the Mexican government in California and that they should travel in large groups and take his, heavy quotes, new and better road to California, end quotes. Also in the letter, Hastings told them that he would be waiting at Fort Bridger to help guide them along the new cutoff. So this guy's like, don't don't take the established route. Take my new and better route. Like, I promise it's better. That's that's sus as hell, dude. But again, you gotta remember these guys were already behind schedule. Now they're being delayed at this river cutoff. Like, like they're like, we'll take whatever. Eight days later, the weather broke, and most of the wagon train decided to follow the established trail towards Fort Hall, 
even though they were behind schedule. A smaller group of mostly European immigrants decided to take the new shortcut. Um, since most of them were young and hadn't been born in America, they were seen as not fit for leadership. The choice and leader came down to George Donner and James Reed. Okay. So Reed was seen as an aristocratic, imperious and ostentatious in heavy quotes, whereas Donner was seen as charitable and peaceful. So they sound like they're like a pretty good like balance, right? Like right, they, they shouldn't have been empowered together, but you know. You got the douchebag and then you got like the the hippie. Um, Donner had even taken in a young man on the trail who was suffering from tuberculosis into his own party when no other members of the train would care for him. Donner was elected leader almost unanimously. So, yeah, so unanimously they were like, you know what, Donner's a cool dude. Sure, no, that guy's a oh, dick. Sorry, Reed, you're kind of a douche. So, they went with the hippie. Good for them. All right. Well, a journalist named Edward Bryan arrived by himself on horseback at Black Forks about a week before the Donner party. And noticed that the first part of the trail looked pretty rough. He thought that the Donner's wagon would struggle to make it through the rough terrain, especially with so many women and children traveling with them. Now, Bryant was so concerned about the Donner party that he turned around and headed back to Black Forks to leave letters for Donner's. Letters for Donner's. In uh, the letters, Donners. he told them to turn around. <laughs> the daughters. <laughs> My man, I'll take a drink. That's the rule. I fucked up. I messed up the notes. I'll take a drink. <laughs> While you're drinking, in the letters, he told them to turn around and not travel via the Hastings shortcut. They should have listened. When they arrived at Black Forks, they were advised by a man named Jim Bridger to take the shortcut. They shouldn't have listened. He told them that the terrain was easy and that the water and grass was plentiful, lies. He also told them that there was no hostile natives in the area either. Um, depends on your point of view. And the shortcut was supposedly going to take 350 miles off the trip. So uh, Bridger, as it turned out, owned Bridger Fort on the Hastings Cutoff. So no wonder he was like, yeah, take this route. Go to my fort. Like, we're not getting a whole lot of business. We could really use your fucking help. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he likely told every traveler he encountered the trail was safe and easy just to help his business out. Nobody in the Donner Party ever received a letter from Bryant warning them of the perils ahead. It is thought by most historians that Bridger likely destroyed the letter so, he, so that he could convince the travelers to continue on the shortcut. So Bridger is sounding like a real dirtbag right now. What a piece of work. Yeah. But that was like every third person back then, man. They're they're literally all going. That's true. There. I mean, these guys. That's I mean, that's fair. Like they all want to make money. They want to the American dream, rich and right. Let's say you got to remember, most of these people on this wagon train were European immigrants who came here, and they they were not welcomed in the East. So they were like, all right, well, I guess we're gonna follow this wagon train and we're gonna go west and try to make our American dream. We're gonna do it. It's gonna happen. Head west, young man. Haven't you been told California's full of whiskey, women, and gold? That's all I got. Gonna keep going? <laughs> I really like that song, so. I should have been a cowboy. I should have learned to rope and ride. Wearing my. Oh, I have heard that song. Feeling the young girl's. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. So well, sorry, uh, 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 take a drink. Oh, I got it right here. Uh, I'm saying too. So. All right, that's that's another rule. You know what? I'm bringing the rules. I'm all right. Obviously, we're still following the rules. So, so for anyone who hasn't listened recently and doesn't know, uh, Stephen randomly breaks out in song. That's a drink. Whoever <laughs> does whoever does the notes, if they messed up the notes, they have to take a drink. Which right now they're all my notes. So if I mess them up, I got a drink. If you mess up while reading, you have to take a drink. Uh, if you stop somebody from speaking while they're reading to interrupt them, you also take a drink. Oh man, if I'm glad. You, I... If you say, <laughs> "Can you imagine?" If you say, "Can you imagine?" We you're supposed to take a shot or chug your beer. But since the rest of the group is not here today, we will not be following that rule. While traveling, James Reed ran into one of his friends. Shall I say an old friend, perhaps? James Kleiman. He was traveling back from California. Kleiman told Reed to avoid the Hastings route because Hastings and Bridger, what would you, can you even? They were lying and that he would never make it with all the wagons and all of the children. On July 31st, the Donner Party left Black Forks and turned with the addition of some of John's ancestors. Like John, you, John? Like me. This is a fitting part for me to say that I was told that we had family in the Donner Party. Growing up in California, the Donner Party is like a big deal. They're pioneers that came here. They went through this crazy stuff. We we used to go skiing all the time, so we'd go over the Sierra Nevadas and that area. Stayed at campgrounds. So we had Donner memorials and stuff. We went there, and my family was always like, oh, we're descended from – we had ancestors in the Donner Party. And they, my grandparents and my mom, all of them were always like, our family didn't eat anybody, though. They weren't, they weren't cannibals. So we had a McCutcheon and their two-year-old daughter, Harriet. Okay, well, when they left the fort, they turned south to follow the Hastings cutoff, despite warnings from James Kleiman. The plan was to try and catch up with the Harlan Young wagon train that was led by Hastings himself. The problem was that the Harlan Young train was already 11 days ahead of the Donner Party, and there wasn't an established trail. After only a few days of traveling, the trail all but disappeared, and they had to rely on letters from Hastings that they found on the ground or stuck in bushes or trees to indicate where to go. Is that not fucking insane? Hold the fuck up. Like, the- no, I agree. It's, 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 it's absurd. That's absolutely insane. They're like, like, we're going to go halfway across the country now. You're out for it to find a fucking letter. It's the weather. Like, weather is an issue. Did none of them think about, like, this hurts my head. Yeah, and with the, like you said, with the weather, if 11 days behind, all the grass that got knocked over, yeah. dirt trails, the wind and rain, whatever, you're losing oh. that trail straight away. But they're like, oh, look, there's a letter in that bush over there. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go take so like, how, how, okay, so they obviously found some letters. Yeah, they found it. They found Could a bunch have of found them. All of them. They found There's a no bunch of them. Actually, on August 6th, they found a letter from Hastings telling them to wait where they were until he could return and show them the path. Three men, including James Reed, rode ahead, hoping to encounter Hastings along the way. 
While riding on the path, they encounter deep canyons, narrow trails with boulders and trees blocking the way, and paths that abruptly abruptly sheared off into the river deep below them, just like in Looney Tunes. I mean, they they saw that and they were like, "There's no way our wagons are going to get through." It's like, what what are we going to do? I mean, they're they're literally relying on letters left in the wilderness for them. I'm not going to say it, but you know what I want to say. Yeah. Like, I'll say it and take the drink. Can you imagine? Can That's you imagine? Nuts. That's nuts. Let's drink together, my friend. Yeah, cheers, insanity. bro. Cheers. Like, like, who are these people? Anyway. They're me. <laughs> They're dreamers, man. That's true, John. It's your blood. They're dreamers. I love that. So the men never found Hastings, as it turns out. Um, just another limit. <laughs> Can't even say it. Uh, so they never found Hastings, as weird as that is. Just another letter giving them some general directions around the dangerous areas. Reed returned to the group so they could discuss their options while the other two men would stay behind and rest up for the journey ahead. The first option was to go back to Black Forks and take the traditional route, which would have been smart, where option two was to follow the super dangerous route of the Harlan Young group, and option three was to follow Hastings' letter. So they did have multiple options at this point. Right. Option one was quickly, quickly ruled out since they were already late and leaving for the trail, and they couldn't afford to turn back and lose even more time. Becky and okay. that damn latte, man. Tell me. Right. No, these that's people. these people are listening. To, they're finding letters in the wild. Yeah, but at the same time, they had what they don't have anything else to follow. That's well, that's their only but that's their only guide are those letters. That's all they, they have. You know what? Start, start gathering up some fucking twigs and build a little <laughs> mud shelter. No, no. At this at this point, they're not far enough along to be even thinking on that. They're they're still in their head. They're going. We have plenty of time. Like we're late, but we still have time. And again, remember, they believed they were on a three hundred and fifty mile shortcut. Right. So they're they're thinking like, oh, we've got time. Yeah, they're thinking we're making up time. Even if we get slowed down a few days by finding letters and trying to figure out, we're still going to come out weeks ahead. They thought they were on a huge shortcut here, so they weren't worried about. Being a couple days slowed, you know, oh, trying to find this, trying to find that. They knew they were still going to get through ahead of schedule. My man, uh, have, have you ever seen a peach dragon? Yes. All right. You remember when Jim Dale was like the traveling snake oil salesman? Yes. That's who this guy reminds me of, man. This Hastings guy, right? Yes exactly what I like. I, I think of that, like that guy in a caravan who's like, hey, buy my. Buy this oil, it'll make you live longer. Like, yeah, he yes, pulls up with your horses in the wagon, the wagon puffs out and everything. Like, like, that's, yeah. like, that's what I'm thinking of. And he has his little right. red button stooge there with him to yep. like reenact the, the cures, the miracle cures. Yep. That's what this dude, that's the vibe this dude is giving me. 100%. You know, James Reed convinced the party that they should pick option three and take the new route. Taking the new route meant that all able-bodied men had to go ahead of the wagons and cut a new path for them. That meant cutting trees and moving rocks and boulders out of the way. All of this 
slowed the wagons down to about one and a half miles per day instead of the 15 they would have been making on the traditional route. So now they're slowing down. So now they're getting slowed down by terrain. No one thought, hey, this is stupid. I mean, I guess you're right, though. They did think that they were. Yeah, but after two days of that, I'd have been like, you know what? Let's just fucking turn around. You would think. One would. Which which I'm sure some people did. Oh. Especially the men trying to clear the path. The mile and a half of trees, rocks, boulders, bushes. I'd be like, fuck this. Let's turn around. Listen, I'll be honest. As a gay man, I have lots of gal friends. And I guarantee you, those bitches were sitting in the back of those wagons being like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, why are we dealing with this? Like, they're just chattering. They're like, these men suck. Like, blah, 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 blah. But, why is this road so bumpy? Like, this is so ridiculous. But back in the day, they were like, mm, actually, cool. back in the day, they probably didn't say anything because they were afraid their husbands would beat the shit out of them. That's what I'm going to say is like, they were, they were probably like, mm. so they're in this the This road's wagon. great, honey. You're doing you great. Know, you know, them girls are in those, in those wagons, like being stalled, being just like, these motherfucking men don't know what they're doing, but as soon as the men come around, they're like, honey. You're doing so good, honey. Like, okay. are you hungry? Like, let's make some food. One and one and a 1.5 miles out of instead of the 15. Mm-hmm. I wish yeah, I, I 10, wish I knew nice women y'all are talking about who are willing to make food. and They don't exist anymore. <laughs> these women y'all are talking about don't they exist. They all died in the Donner Party, Will. <laughs> So after about a week of travel on the new trail, they were joined by the Graves family, bringing the total number of people in the Donner Party to about 87. They were now between 60 to 80 wagons as well. The Graves family was possibly the last family to leave Independence. These bitches were even yeah, They were real late. <laughs> Starbucks is going awful slow that day. <laughs> Becky's at home making breakfast and watching all the tra- wagons leave and... She's like, eh, we'll catch up. So they were the last family to leave Independence in time to travel. And that meant that the Donners were not only behind schedule, but making incredibly bad time. I am shook. Yeah. You mean the short Worst travelers ever. They're reading notes on the side of the road. Yeah. Sorry, not even notes. Imagine driving down the highway and you're trying to find directions by sticky notes left on the side of the road. You have to take a drink. I said imagine, I didn't say can't, fuck, I'll drink anyway. Close enough. (laughs) All right. Well, on August 20th, the group finally reached a point in the mountain path where they could see the Great Salt Lake below them. It would take almost two more weeks to get out of the mountain range through, though, sorry, though. All right. Food and other supplies were running low for most of the families, and the two men that had ridden ahead with Reed encountered the Angel Moroni. Oh, wait, sorry, the wrong text and still had not returned at this time the men began to argue most of them blamed greed since he was the one who wanted to take the route they were on okay quick. Are these people mormons quick question no. wasn't reed the like the douchebag right he was the douchebag but um he was still so, second in command basically he was right. still the domineering guy who like even uh, though um I just daughter was in charge. That. Reed, yeah, Reed is the one that you'll he, see time and time again. He seems to kind of make the decisions, even though Donner is technically in charge. I think Reed probably made the decisions, and Donner 
essentially told the others. He softened it for the others to get them to go along with Reed. Basically, Reed's a top and Donner's a bottom. That's what right. Yeah, in 1846 terms. <laughs> Only a few days later, they ran into the men that had ridden with Reed. They were completely out of supplies and were only a day away from killing and eating their horses when they were found. Only a few days after that, the party suffered another casualty when Luke Halloran, the young man that George Donner took in, died from his illness. A few more days later, they found a torn and tattered letter from Hastings. Donner and Reed managed to piece the letter back together to make a little sense of what Hastings was trying to tell them. They were able to make out that they were going to have two more days and nights of difficult travel with no grass or water for the oxen and other pack animals. All right. I, so this shit's getting ridiculous at this point. So many questions. So little time. <sighs> this is some bullshit. I'm just going to throw that out there. It's some bullshit. They piece together a I can't. The party decided to rest for 36 hours and prepare for the journey. Once they were ready, they started the 1,000-foot ascent. <laughs> you want to take a drink now or what? You want to what, you wait till later or drink now? I'll do it now. That's my bad. It's ascent. And I said ass instead of ascent. And on, just on account. It ascent. was an ascent. The stinky yeah. trip up the hill. <laughs> Once they were ready, they started the 1,000-foot ascent up the mountain in front of them when they reached the peak they looked down and their spirits sank all they could see in front of them was a dry salt covered plain completely barren of any resources they would need to travel so these bitches have been cutting down trees moving boulders none of them thought to like collect they're dumb Hey, it sorry, gets worse. It gets oh, worse. Oh, no, yeah, it only gets worse. No, it's your, it's your ancestors, and I'm sorry. That was rude. But... Well, my answer, there were only well, three well, out of we 87. Know where John so... gets it from, so it's, it's ah, cool. Ah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Makes a little bit of sense. That's so, why I built power so, lines. I didn't, you know, not working <laughs> in a bank or something. <laughs> so they reached the Great Salt Lake Desert on August 30th, and with no other option but forward, they pressed on. It was so hot that the water beneath the earth's surface was being pulled up, and that made the top layer of the ground wet and mushy. This caused the wagon wheels to sink up to the hubs, and after three days and nights of travel and the extreme heat of the day and the intense cold of the night, some members of the party began to hallucinate. Wow. This, okay, now this sounds kind of fun. Um, some of them were seeking lakes and wagon trains in the distance. Some of them were convinced they had caught up with the Harlan Young train. With the wagons continuously getting stuck and the oxen running out of energy, some of the families unhooked the wagons and left them where they were. Others simply left them hooked up and abandoned them with the wagons. Reed himself lost nine of his ten oxen, and they broke free in a thirst-induced panic and ran off into the desert. Most of the wagons were damaged and many of the livestock died, but no human life was lost in the desert. Hastings had promised them a two-day, 40-mile stretch, but in reality, it was six days and 80 miles. So, as we're reading this, um, you guys have seen the uh, never-ending story, right? I assume. The what? The never-ending story. 
Oh yeah, with a, a ray. So all I can think is that horse being dragged into mud. <laughs> a tray. A tray. Yeah. That's all. That, literally, as you were reading that, that's all I could think. And also, loved that movie as a kid. Hated it as an adult. Agreed. I recently rewatched. Uh, speaking of movies you loved as a kid, hate as an adult. I rewatched Wind Talkers with Nicolas Cage. Oh, never saw it. That movie is absolute dog shit. As a kid, I thought it was this epic war movie. I watched it back like a month or two ago, and I was like, this fucking sucks. One of my favorite TikToks, um, and I'll be quick about this, um, is a mom who's like our age, like my age, John. I should say my age. Um, so I'm almost 40. So Will knows how old I am. But almost 40. Gosh. Basically, she makes her son watch these 80s films. And then after she like after he's done watching them, he gives a brief. Like he's like, the the horse was depressed and died in a mop. Like why? What else is there to know about this movie? He's talking about never ending story. Like it's just funny. Like he, he's like, this is the shit you guys watch. No no wonder you guys are depressed and on fucking medication. <laughs> he's like, but what is he? She's like, well, it's you know, empathy. Oh, He's like, this is stupid. <laughs> Fair point. Yep. I was, I was thinking after reading that paragraph, man, that this is where the Morbid settled. Like, it is, how right? desperate right. were they yeah, yeah, yeah. that this was the best place they could figure out where to settle, where people would leave them alone? Well, and their oxen are now gone, so they, they've lost their... Who's driving these wagons? Well, dude, they're hallucinating. They left them. That's what I'm saying. It's they just like idiots. Well, luckily for them, when they reached the other side of the desert, they found a spring and set up a camp so they could recover. The party had now lost all faith in Hastings since nothing he had told them had turned out to be true. They spent several days at the spring trying to recuperate. Some of the party members were sent ahead to scout out what was in store for them as well as finding some of the animals that ran off in that direction. Other members were sent back into the desert to regather some of their wagons, supplies, and pack animals. It was decided that two members of the group would try and ride for Sutter's Fort in California and ask John Sutter for help, since he was supposedly known for his generosity towards, towards pioneers in need. Charles Stanton and William McCutcheon volunteered for the endeavor, even though they would be leaving their families in the hands of strangers with a dangerous road in front of them and the knowledge that they might never see them again. These guys are just full of great, great ideas. <laughs> but, but at least they know Hastings is a piece of shit now. They know Hastings is right. a piece of shit, and they go, well, we, we might be able to go. So we could get, get help. help. We can, we, two right. of us can leave on horseback and get help and come back. Right. Maybe. You're, you're correct. They were trying at this point. They're like, okay, this is turned into well, a That was side. William McCutcheon was that's my ancestor that left to do that. But so he left never... his wife and his two-year-old with strangers essentially on this horrible shitty road. I mean, but what else can But it was like what other yeah, what other choice did he have? So anyway, after a few days, the search parties that had been sent ahead and behind returned with what they well, with what they had found. Uh, the searchers that had gone ahead reported that there was another 40 miles of desert in front of them. And the searchers in the desert had managed to bring back a couple of wagons, a few supplies, 
and some of the pack animals. So after everyone was back, all the families took stock of what they had. The Reed family, douche, was left with almost nothing. So James Reed suggested they, of course he did. He suggested they pull their resources so they could ration it. Naturally, he volunteered himself to be in charge of the inventory. What a twat. <laughs> He's like, oh shit, my family got screwed over here. Like, oh, hey guys, uh, let's oh. all pool our stuff and I'll, I'll, I'll keep track of all of it. So we all, you know, we all know it's being fair. So the party then had to, um, that's a weird move, but I'll take it. So the party then had to Frankenstein some wagon teams together with some consisting of oxen, cows, and horses and donkeys. The animals looked exhausted and near death. Of course they were. But they made it through the next stretch of desert with minimal losses, and things seemed to be getting easier. Even though they hated Hastings, <laughs> who wouldn't? At this point, they had no choice but to follow his tracks and pray nothing else would happen. What else can you do at that point? Like, you've already spent too much time going forward. You can't go back now. You've lost too much. You can't go back through the desert because you're going to lose even more. Everything can literally only go forward. Good. They're waiting for letters by the side of the road to this shortcut. Thanks, Hastings. What a dick. On September 26th, they finally reached the traditional route taken by most pioneers. They had spent two months taking the Hastings cutoff shortcut and were now more than a month behind schedule. Behind the lost wagons, supplies, livestock, and pack animals, the weather was also about to turn on them as well. While they were traveling alongside the Humboldt River, they encountered some Paiute Indians, Paiute Indians who joined them for a couple of days before they killed some oxen and stole some of their horses. After this, some of the families decided they didn't want to travel with the other families and left the train to make some better time. Dude, these guys don't have good luck, man. Anything that can go wrong. They they run into Native uh, Americans. And these Native Americans are like, they're cool with them for like a couple days. We'll be bros. And I will your shit. Because they should. What, what I'm curious is, what happened to the families who were like, yo, we're getting off this trail? Because these guys suck. Well, you're about to like, find out. They, they went to the train. You're about to find out. Oh, no. Two of the wagons crashed together, and John Snyder began beating James Reed's oxen. And when Reed tried to intervene, Snyder hit him with the handle of his whip. Reed's wife then tried to make him stop, and she was hit as well. Reed, a proud former military man, wasn't going to tolerate someone striking his wife. So he responded by pulling out his knife and stabbing Snyder just under his collarbone, killing him. That night, the remaining members of the party gathered to discuss what they were going to do with Reed. The U.S. government had no authority where they were, so the pioneers were responsible for carrying out their own justice. One man named Kiesberg wanted to hang Reed, but the group came to a compromise and let Reed leave in the morning by himself. The group would care for his family the rest of the way. His stepdaughter snuck out of camp ahead of him and left him some food and a rifle so that he could provide for himself. Oh, how nice. That's pretty nice. I, lo- I love that this is the moment, right? Like, this is the part we're at where, like, everyone's like, fuck Reed. Like, we're only well, here I'm because sure. of him. I just... 
So after all of to this, to be fair, the, the guy hit his wife though. I mean, I mean, no, he was hitting his oxen. The wife just got in the way. True. Okay. Well, like right. yo, I'm. Well, another <laughs> yeah. day, he, st he still did it. Stop getting in the way. Step I mean, back. Listen, Deborah, get out of the way. Okay, you won't get hit if you're not in the, the warpath. <clears throat> After all of this, the family started to separate even more as they became distrustful of <laughs> distrustful of each other. Now, oh, they're, now yeah. they're finally there. They were finding less and less grass for their pack animals, and it was decided that everyone would start walking now instead of riding their wagons. Is it Keysburg? Keysburg. Okay. Keysburg even told a 70-year-old man named Hardcoop to get out and walk or die. I'm sorry, poor Hardcoop. Dude, a 70-year-old hard coop is like, fuck off. Read the, read the next paragraph, it gets worse. So a few days keep later, oh no. Oh no. A few days later, hard coop, with his feet swollen and split open, sat down by the river and was left behind and was never seen again. I mean, to be honest, he probably built a fucking raft and got the fuck out of there. William Eddie no, tried to get... just died with his He'd have gone the wrong way if he did that. I mean, I'm just saying. Okay, listen, optimist here. I just, I want Hardcoop to live. Hardcoop got eaten by a bear. I mean, he didn't get eaten by people. <laughs> well, not that we know of. I mean, he just disappeared. So William, William Eddie tried to get someone to turn around and go get him, but all of the families agreed that none of them could afford to waste the extra resources on a 70-year-old man that probably wouldn't survive long anyway. Wow. These, these Harsh assholes. realities, man. Harsh realities, man. And just, just, just remember, these are John's ancestors we're talking about. So. Yeah, well, I adore John. I don't know if I adore these ancestors. <laughs> they haven't done anything wrong yet. I mean, that's fair. Okay, well, the one guy stabbed the guy, killed him. That's not, that's not my ancestor. My sure. ancestor went to Sutter's Fort to try to get some help. I mean, if we're going to go this far, let's be honest. My great 26th great-grandmother financed Joan of Arc's army, and your ancestors oh, yeah. for Joan of Arc. She paid for my ancestors to go help Joan of Arc. Exactly. So, like, it's a win-win. Right. They were mercenaries for her. So she literally paid for them to leave Scotland and go fight for her. Yeah. Wow. Turns out that, you know, yeah. Yeah. there's good stuff, too. All right. Well, they did good stuff in this. And okay. not great stuff in this, okay? You have to drink because it's a Will has tried to read this paragraph. God damn it. All right. Well, fine. Well, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> Continue, Will. All right. With James Reed on his own, he was able to catch up with the Donner family. Reed and hired teamster named William or Walter Herring took a single horse and went ahead of the Donners in an effort to also reach Sutter's Fort for more supplies. The rest of the party caught up with the Donners a few days later, and even though they were traveling as a group, once more the problems continued. The Graves family had all of their horses stolen or chased away by natives, and they were forced to leave another wagon behind. The cattle were becoming more and more spread out due to the lack of grass for them to graze on. Because of this, it was easier for the natives to kill, steal, and chase them off. One night, they stole 18 of the herd, and a few mornings later, they killed 21 more. The party had now lost more than 100 cattle and oxen since they had set out. Dude. Excuse my language, but they are well and truly fucked at this point. 
Well, yeah. Well, are they out of Utah yet? Are they still in Utah? Uh, I'm not sure, but I think they've got to be getting close at this point. Um, I didn't. There are maps that I was looking at, but with the amount of writing I was trying to do to keep track of everything, I wasn't able to like follow their map 100. percent I mean, stick with it. But you can you can look it up and you can see their. It shows where they divert from the the main uh, trail and everything, and they they go south and go around the mountain range, and it instead of going over it, they go under it. it it's it's a whole. Off. They go way, way further than they should have. At this point, they, they, I forgot that they left Independence, like Fort. What? That's where they left. They they left from Independence. Right. Yeah. They but they went when they got. I know it's just it's just crazy in my brain to think like we still have like a, quite a. Oh few yeah. Oh go. yeah. No, they, the bad and shit hasn't even happened yet. And they've already lost like a hundred cattle, like. Most of their wagons, most of the supplies, 100 cattle. People have died already. Oh, and we're not even to the bad stuff yet. I know. Things are relatively good still. But, but we've, we've, we've been blessed to hear the name Hardcoop. Hardcoop. Well, they, the names get better. Uh, in fact, a, na- a man named Wolfinger decided to bury his wagon for a future cash if he needed it. Two other men named Reinhardt and Spitzer offered to stay behind and help him. That evening, they returned to the group without Wolfinger and claimed they were attacked by natives and that Wolfinger was killed and that they barely escaped with their lives. Dude, poor Wolfinger. We barely got to know him. So barely these got to know him. Just dead like, already. They're shitty. Next, the party came to another stretch of desert where there would be no water or grass for the remaining livestock and pack animals. I'm surprised they even have any of those left. The Eddy family's oxen were the next to be targeted by the natives. With no oxen remaining to pull their wagons, they took what they could out of them and carried what little they had left. Soon, though, they ran out of food and water. They begged the other families for food and water to give to their children, but they were denied by everyone. Luckily, they were out of the desert quickly, and they were able to find more resources at the Truckee Wind. Truckee River. So, first of all, wasn't there that asshole like gathering all of the supplies and being in charge? Reed, that motherfucker. So, Reed at this point isn't helping this family. That's well, they split up. So he he decided to do that, but then the You're family right. split right. up again. Okay. So they all took their shit. That makes uh, sense. There's just so much crazy shit. There's happening so much crazy there. stuff happening in this. It's, it's, it's yeah. insane. Way wild. So, so they had very little time to recover because next they had to cross the Sierra Nevadas. Cheers. Cheers. Before the snow came and the mountain passes became impossible to cross. So luckily for the travelers, Stanton returned with supplies and two Miwok. Okay, thank you. Miwok Indians named Salvador and Louis. Wait, wait, time out, time out. The Indians' names were Salvador and Luis. Yep. I don't think that was. I, their, I don't think bullshit. those were their actual names. <laughs> I think uh, that was their Christian <laughs> names, if you will, sir. No, yeah, those were definitely their Christian names. <laughs> yeah. Like, they were when they when they got to Sutter's Fort. They were quickly renamed. I mean that that's a fair question, though. To be honest, 
<laughs> oh, oh yeah, no, definitely. They're not running with dogs and anyway, that was we're gonna yeah. that. sorry. Yeah, um, not. The group asked where McCut. Why can I not get this? McCutcheon. All right. So the group asked where McCutcheon was, and Stanton told them that he had become very ill and, were, and was recovering at Sutter's Ford. Stanton also brought news that Reed and Heron had reached the fort as well. After they received their supplies and new guides, the travelers had to decide if they wanted to rest or try and make it over one last mountain range. They assumed they had another three or four weeks before the pass would be snowed in. While they decided what to do, William Foster was loading one of his guns and accidentally shot and killed William Pike. Oh, Damn. poor William. I that you're laughing at that. That's just the luck they've been having. <laughs> so after that, they all decided it was best to move on and try to make it over the mountains. So it was like, oh, uh, yeah, you know what? We should just leave here. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, hold on. Well, speaking, of leaving, speaking of leaving, the Breen family was the first to leave, followed closely by the Keysbergs. The Stantons and the Reeds left together. Next were the Murphys and the Graves family, who were also traveling together. The Donners were the last to leave, and only a few miles down the path when an axle broke on one of the wagons. George and Jacob Donner. George, Jacob, Donner. Okay. Then went into the woods and found some woods to fix it. But while George was chiseling the wood, he badly cut his hand and was able to be of any more help. The Breeze right. were the first to make it up the 1,000-foot path to Truckee Lake, which is now known as Donner Lake. With three miles left to go before reaching the summit, they made a camp by a dilapidated cabin that other pioneers had abandoned two years earlier. They were soon joined by the Eddies and Keesbergs. They quickly set out to make it over the pass, but they lost the path, and all they found were five to ten foot snowdrifts blocking their way. After continuing to search for the trail for a few more hours, they were forced to return to the camp as darkness set in. The rest of the families, with the exception of the Donners, made it to the camp the next day. The Donners were stuck about a half day's journey down the mountain from the camp, and the snow was beginning to fall in thick and heavy flakes. The sudden appearance of heavy snow was a surprise to the pioneers, as they thought they had another two weeks before the snow came. Oh, these guys. Dude, they cannot catch a break. Like, they, they just, there's not one brain. I, I think that's the problem, though, right? Like, I want to feel bad for them. Exactly. But right now, I just want them all to be, like, put out of their misery. But, but to be fair, that would have happened. Uh, we wouldn't be having this podcast because John would not have eventually come. True story. Uh, it, I, I'd still be here. It'd just be a different version of me. Okay. Okay, you're not. I mean, there's lots, there's lots of grandparents that go into making one person, so I'd still be here in some capacity, I think. I mean, you are maybe, correct. Maybe Salvador or Luis would have been one of your grandparents. You, you might, just kidding. You might not look as handsome as you are today, though, sir. The 60 members of the families at the lake camp began preparations to try to survive the winter. They managed to set up three poorly constructed cabins because they're idiots. That had we no didn't have time either. I'll take a drink for this, but they didn't have time either. Like these are, they're not carpenters. They're not cabin builders. They're, they're pioneers who are doing the best they can with very limited time. 
Oh my god. To build, to build cabins? That's crazy. They're poor Europeans. I get it. <laughs> they even have trees in Europe to make cabins? <laughs> yes, they have trees. There are forests upon forests. Have you been to Transylvania, honey? No, I haven't. So they managed to set up three poorly constructed cabins that had no windows or even actual doors. The roofs leaked and and the only way in or out was through a hole left in a wall that served as a door. The cabins were built around boulders that the families could use as a makeshift fireplace. Oh, here we go. The Breens had their own cabin because apparently they're the richest of the rich. Seems like it. The Reeds and the Graves shared the second, and the Eddies and Murphy shared the third. Maybe the Breens just had more children. I don't know. So the Kessbergs were unable to build a cabin for themselves and had to settle with building a small lean-to on the side of the Breen cabin. What? Building the cabins was exhausting, and the families used up most of their remaining supplies, including the ones that Stanton had returned with. with returned with. William Eddy was by far the best hunter in the group, and he was able to kill a small bear to bring back to camp. So after that, they didn't have much luck with hunting or fishing. The lake was full of trout, but they were unable to catch many of them. As the remaining oxen died of starvation, each family stacked the ones that belonged to them so they could freeze and be eaten later. Yeah, so there's a whole big lake there, but because the type of fish that are in there, you have to fish for them differently. You can't just kind of like throw your bait out there and they're going to come bite it. You actually have to, like, fish for trout. Oh, boy. They, they weren't accustomed to that, and they couldn't catch anything. So pretty shitty they got a whole food source there, and they couldn't get any of them. Um, hey, you know it would be fucked up? If that, that old 70-year-old, if that 70-year-old man who they left behind, or that dude who was whipping the oxen, that they were, like, prized trout fishermen, who like oh, had like black summer cha- like champion trout fishermen back home. Yeah. <laughs> so for whatever reason, world class trout anglers. John, I'm sure you've seen this movie because you have kids, but the movie Tangled. Hmm? That old man that like has like the missing teeth when they go into like the Lucky Duck or whatever. And yeah. he's like kind of a type. Like that's the guy I picture. It's it's like it's like if Luke Skywalker. Left. Oh, sorry. It's, <laughs> he's just it's like, like well, if... no. he's like, fuck you guys. I got all the trout, bitches. <laughs> you left my ass by the side of a river. <laughs> it's like if Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back meets up with Yoda, stabs him, and then leaves him by <laughs> the river. But then it finds out that Yoda's the only one who can make him a Jedi and shit. Yeah, exactly. That, oh, that's what's going on. Yeah. He's like, I done fucked up. That was a great analogy. That was a pretty good one, yeah. Yoda jumped my back, so I stabbed him. I'm just I'm just like, well, I mean, at first I was just kind of like down with the names, the Keysbergs and the Breens and the, the hard cop and the Well there some of these family names are important to know for later on. Wolffinger, you know. He's, like, yeah, well, yeah. I just so the Donner family still had not made it to the lake camp on November 4th when it began to snow even harder, okay? They were forced to quickly put up some tents for the 21 people in their group. The ensuing storm lasted eight days. Damn. 
The group at the lake camp became desperate and thought that maybe a small group traveling like could potentially make it over the pass. But each time they sent anyone out, they came back defeated by the mountain snow. After both camps survived the eight-day storm, they were able to clear away some of the snow and gather some food from the animal corpses. One only days later, though, an even more severe storm rolled and lasted for another week. It snowed so much that the remaining horses and cattle were buried and killed in the snow. The worst part wasn't that the animals had died, but that it had snowed so much that they couldn't find them to use them as food or use their hides for roofs or blankets. Now, the families were truly without food. All right, real quick, another Empire Strikes Back analogy. Remember when Luke like, got slapped around by the Wampa and then yeah. Han Solo found him and he sliced open that, that one weird animal, the Tauntaun, and, the and they stuffed they stuffed themselves inside the Tauntaun's warm body. This is like Luke and Han and Leia and Chewie all in the snow with no Tauntauns. That's what's happening. I forgot. These bitches made like weird cabins that weren't even cabins. They were sort of cabins. I mean, they were better than a fucking lean-to than Kiesberg made. He's like, uh, it's telling his family, like, he's the man of the family. He's like, uh, Sorry, I could put some stakes in the ground and we'll put an oxide over it. Well, and that's the thing on the side of the Breen's cabin. Like, the Breen's are just like living their best lives ish. I mean, I mean, given the situation, the situation, yeah, yeah, they're like living their best lives and they're like, I guess you can just put a lean to on our mansion. Mansion. I mean, I know it's not a mansion. It's a it's a shitty cabin, but still, right? Nobody helped that family. It's fucked up, man. But they had to help themselves. Well, well, uh, speaking of cabins, John. Yeah, the cabins at the lit camp were small and crowded. The families inside were unable to leave due to how high the snow outside had got. When they finished off what little remained of their quotations real food, the families boiled strips of ox hides that made a glue-like paste. They also made horse and oxbone soup and reused the bones so many times that eventually they just disintegrated in the boiling water. The Murphy children even picked apart the oxide rug in front of the dirt in front of their fireplace, which again was just a boulder, and roasted the small pieces to survive. Damn. I also just love that you had to throw that out there so because you knew I was going to be like, they had a fucking fireplace. Or like it's a well, so I've I've been to the location of one of these cabins and there's a, like a memorial on the boulder. It's just a fucking, it's a big rock. Like that's it. Like that's all that's left of the cabin is just the rock, which is not the cabin. It's just the fireplace. <laughs> Let's continue. Occasionally, when the weather permitted it, one or two of the men from the late camp would travel down to the Donner camp. And one day, the men discovered that Jacob Donner and three of the hired men he had died. So one of those men was Joseph Reinhardt, who had claimed he was attacked by natives while helping Wolfinger bury his wagon, confessed on his deathbed that he murdered Wolfinger so he could steal his supplies. They also saw that George Donner's hand had become infected. Who is this the guy that got stabbed? Sorry. I no, he's the one that cut his hand, trying to build an axle that's, over his that's wagon. Right. Sorry. And now there are only four men in the camp to work and keep the rest of the group safe. So now he's like, you were saying, like, he's got an infected hand now. So 
So Margaret Reed had been rationing some of her family's food without them knowing so she could make them a Christmas soup, which brought them a little joy in such a miserable and difficult time. By January, however, they were on the brink of starvation and were considering eating the ox hides that made up their roof. So four members of the family left the cabin to search for food, but after four days, they returned empty-handed and they were forced to take down their roof and move in with the Breen family. A few days later, the Graves family came by the Breen cabin to collect on a debt that the Reed family owed, owed them from when they bought a dead oxen when the storm started. Since the Reeds had nothing but the ox hides to offer the Graves, they took those as payments and left the Reeds without nothing. So I want to say when I was reading this, they bought a dead oxen for, I want to say like four times the price of a live one would have been when they left Independence. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So because they were like, oh, the storms are hitting in. You want to buy one of our dead oxen? It will, we'll charge you four times as much as the live one would have cost at Independence. And then obviously there was nothing to barter with. They didn't have any money to do them any good up there. So... Right, they're just like they're they're like we need to eat too, so we're gonna take that. Well, it's crazy that like that one family was just like, yeah, we're gonna make a Christmas stew. Well, I mean, I don't know what it was out of though. It could have been out of you know, it was probably out of ox hide in front of their fireplace. I mean, that's true. I just it's because you can't really. I guess in the freezing cold, you can ration some food. Yeah, but think about how happy those kids would have been to have like a carrot. Absolutely. But Daddy, I, like, I got a I got a carrot. Oh my god. Daddy, I want a <laughs> Please, sir, may I have another? I want a golden goose that lays golden eggs. <laughs> I want it now. <laughs> now, Daddy. <laughs> oh, they all turn into blueberries. All right. So Spitzer, who also helped murder Wolffinger was the next to die of starvation at the late camp. We was soon followed by another man named Williams. Franklin Graves decided he wasn't going to stay at the camp, so he made 14 pairs of snowshoes out of oxbows and oxhide. On December 16th, a group of 17 men, women, and children set out to try and make it over the pass. Four of the men and three of the women were parents who left their children with other families, uh, great parenting, the group took only six days of rations, a rifle, a hatchet, some pistols, and one blanket each. Charles Berger and 10-year-old William Murphy didn't have snowshoes and were forced to return to camp in the trip early when they re- realized they wouldn't make it very far. By the third day, most of the group was snowblind and their energy was running out. I mean, at this point, like they're like living on morsels and... So they're they're literally eating rotten ox hides. Right. And when um, they cook it, it turns into a glue-like substance. Gross. That's foul. Well, and I'll be honest, like, the, the amount of energy that is spent when walking through snow, like, I can attest to that. It's, you, you burn so many calories. Oh, yeah. oh. We used to go skiing and snowboarding all the time, dude. I know, like, wearing boots and shit, you know, doesn't help. But, I mean, just carrying skis in a snow or snowboard, just just trying to get to the chairlift is fucking insane. Rudging through snow is... it, it, it And that's hard-packed snow, too. Like, 
and you expend so much energy. So right. for them to not only have like enough substance, they're like, I love how I turned from like being like these idiots to like oh, this. You're, sucks. Feel, you're starting to feel for these people now. Well, because it's just like they're. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. So so check this out. Back in the early nineties. I lived in Alaska for a year, right? And this was around 1993, 94. So this is like the peak of grunge. So I had my Doc Martin boots on, not knowing that Doc Martens aren't very good snow boots. Okay. <laughs> Terrible boots. All right. Um, but you looked cool doing it. I did look cool, but okay. So I used to work at the mall. And I would take the bus home from the mall, and I lived on a military base. And so I had an ID card to get on the base, but like I had to walk about a mile to get home, right from the from the entrance to the base because you couldn't take a bus or a cab, or, you know, on base. Yeah. And so like it's it's like I don't know, probably around February, so it's freaking cold, and the snow stacked up, you know, three four feet. You know, I don't know. It was probably only like 12 inches, but it felt like three or four feet, whatever. All right. And I'm walking there with my fucked up Doc Martens that have holes in them just because I wore them so much. And I only had to walk a mile and just walking in the snow with those cold ass Doc Martens that had no insulation, right? No way to keep that cold melting snow out of my socks just one mile and I felt like I had just fucking trudged through like a Vietnam rice paddy, you know, it was fucking horrible. Right. And and these guys had nowhere near the technology. I mean, William Murphy is, I'm assuming he's not a, a professional snowshoe maker and he makes correct. them out of old wagon oxbows and oxide string. Well, and you mix in like gangrene and like, these guys are but that's what i'm saying though man like these people didn't train like like we're talking shit about them i know we're we're talking we're talking shit but you can talk shit about them on the decisions they made up to this point right and that's when when they're now that they're here and they're stuck like this is pure survival mode like this this is is, this is a roller coaster of of a an episode because like at first i was like these fucking idiots these idiots letters like left by the side of the road they're like you have to remember these are european immigrants who are very trusting and they they literally do not know they are just they're trusting the word of somebody else absolutely and then we get to this part and it's like this is the point where you're like starting to feel for them well i mean but but to be fair they did leave behind the 70 year old uh a prize trout fisherman (laughs) alleged Prize oh yeah, I think I think legend. that's just the story I put in my head. You know, I, yeah, I think we sh- I think we should just all agree that he was he was, and he could have made a world of difference. They should have brought Hard Coop along with him. Sitting there by the side of the river, saying, "I have a dream." No, he was sitting beside the river trying to catch trout, catching trout, saying, "I have a dream," just like in the- just like in Tangled. There you go, exactly. I'm gonna drink, gotta drink. That's good. You should. Thank you. I appreciate you following through. Continue on, Mike. On December 21st, as the group left camp, Charles Stanton told them to go ahead with without him and that he would catch up later. 
Stanton had been struggling to keep up with the rest of the group, and they knew what he meant. His remains were found at that location the following year. The group then got lost and ran out of food. Patrick Dolan suggested that someone should volunteer to die so that the rest of them wouldn't starve. Others suggested a duel or a lottery to select who would die. William Eddy told them that they weren't going to do any of that. He said they would just keep moving forward until someone died. Soon after, a blizzard overtook them, and one of the hired men named Antonio, who I think was an animal trainer when I read, uh, he died, and then Franklin Graves followed him shortly afterwards in death. With the blizzard still raging, Patrick Dolan went on a delirium-fueled rant before stripping naked and running off into the woods. He returned to camp a few hours later and then died. Some of the group began to tear the flesh from his body and eat it. William Murphy's sister tried to feed him some, but he refused and died shortly after. William Eddy, along with Luis and Salvador, refused to partake in the cannibalism. What? Everybody, everybody else was like, we're going to do it. And, and here is where Thanks. my family was lying. So Amanda uh, McCutcheon was part of this group. So that means she ate a person and my family is incorrect. So I don't know if you guys have ever heard of um, the dollar. Dolotov Pass incident. Oh yeah, it's um in Russia. It's not Dolotov. It's 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 Datlev or something. It's something. Yeah, but, it's something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they got. Actually, I'll, I'll be right back. I'm gonna go pee. But no. So essentially, like if when hypo hyperthermia sets in, correct. Um, your body starts to feel warm again. Yep. And so I think, but burn it up, right? And you're freezing, and you don't realize it. So I think that's probably what happened to one hundred percent Antonio Dolan. I think that, like at this point, like he stripped down because he thought he was burning up, and ran into the fucking cold mountains, and then came back, and then died. You know, like he thought in his brain, he's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm dying. Like I'm hot," and it's like, "No." Yeah, you're- it- the, the, the notes say that he returned a few hours later. I'm surprised he lasted a few hours in that condition. I mean, I'll be honest. When he said that, I was like, whoa. Because all I could think in my brain was like, this guy was like severely hypothermic. And he was right. like dealing with that. And that's why, like, that's why you rip off all of your clothes. Because in your brain, you're so cold. You think that you're hot. It's so crazy. Dude. So that's that's all I could think when he when he read that part. I was like, oh. So the next morning, the group stripped the bodies of Antonio, Dolan Graves, and Murphy of their muscles and organs so they could dry them. The meat from the bodies was all kept separate so that nobody would wind up eating a family member. After three days, they finally set out to find the trail again. But by this point, William Eddy was so hungry and exhausted that he finally caved in and had to eat some of the human meat. When the group ran out of their food, they took apart their snowshoes and ate the hides and strings. So at this point, they're eating like the dried oxen, right? Which is back to what they did at the camp. Right. So it's not new to them. They knew they could do it. We're just at this but, point. But so, at the camp, at least they were in a shelter. Right. So 
The group then discussed murdering and eating Salvador and Lewis, but no, William, those are my dudes. Listen, don't be rude. But William Eddy warned them of what the others planned, and they were able to sneak out of the camp that night. Jay, of course, I'm reading this one. <laughs> that night, that Jay Fostick died. And now the group was down to only seven people. At this point, there's only seven of them left. Mm-hmm. Yep. William Eddy and Mary Graves told the others to hold off on eating his body until he and Mary returned from their hunting trip. Eddie and Graves brought back a deer, but the five members at camp had already butchered Fostick's body. What the fuck? On the 25th day, they stumbled across Salvador and Lewis who had not eaten in almost nine days. William Foster then shot and killed both of them since he believed that it was their last chance to avoid starvation. So these bitches aren't even dead, and they're, like, guiding them through this. No, they're not guiding them. They ran away at this point. Oh, right, 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 right. Because they had talked about killing them. They ran away, and then they found them because they were so exhausted they couldn't go any further. So he was just like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and them and if i'm not mistaken william foster was the one that shot somebody back at camp earlier on accident oh shit yep he did he murdered three people on this trip by by Who did he kill earlier it was like something i don't know i can't even i don't even Ben foster he killed another william when he was loading his gun yeah and then it just accidentally uh, went off oh that's right yeah and that's when we were making fun of them for basically being Keystone Cops and shit. Yeah, but know? they shot the guy, and the group was like, all right, time to move on. I better head out. Keep on going. I, I'm going to head out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, only a few days later, they found a Native American settlement. The travelers were so dirty, bedraggled. You're a teacher. You don't know what bedraggled is? I've never heard that word. I thought you meant to spell bedazzled and shit. Like they had those jeans with the like sparkly uh, pockets. But, <laughs> so they were so dirty, bedazzled, and close to death that the villagers initially fled in terror. When they realized they were just starving pioneers, they returned and gave them acorns, pine nuts, and some grass to eat. And they had a Thanksgiving dinner. And then they spent a couple of days recovering with the natives before a couple of them led William Eddy to a nearby ranch. They also offered the natives some Luis and Salvador jerky. Anyway, as soon as he arrived, the ranchers put together a rescue party and set out of the natives' village. The remaining six members of the snowshoe party were rescued on January 17th. It took 33 days, but William, Eddie, Sarah Fostick, Marianne Graves, Amanda McCutcheon, Harriet Pike, and William and Sarah Foster had made it out alive. Still kind of pissed off about Luis and Salvador, man. Those were my dudes. Right. Yeah. And they just got gunned down to be eaten, basically. Like, and they and were, then it was like they the murdered place. them, they ate them, and then like a day later, they found the camp, or the, the village, basically. Bro, story of my life. But hey, yeah, so that's uh, Amanda McCutcheon. There, there we go. She was uh, ancestor. She was, she was there. She did it. She was found alive. She made it out. I mean, she was out. out of the 17. She was one of the seven. Like That's insanity. While the snowshoe party was trying to make it out, Reed and McCutcheon had been recovering at Sutter's Fort. 
Breed had been pleading with Colonel John C. Fremont to give him a team to cross over the pass and help them save the members of the wagon train. Fremont, though, was in the midst of fighting the Mexican-American War and couldn't spare the resources. After continual pleading from Reed, Fremont finally agreed on one condition, that Reed would join his fighting force when he returned. Fremont gave Reed a few men and a bunch of horses. He was joined by McCutcheon and a few members of the Harlan Young Party that were still at the fort and had been sympathetic to their fellow pioneers. In total, they set out with 12 men and 30 horses, carrying food and other supplies. When they arrived at the location they expected the Donner Party to be, all they found was a lone pioneer couple on the brink of starvation. So they got to where they expected the rest of their group to have made it to, and they get there, and there's just this, just two people there who got separated before and were starving, and they were like, well, here's some food, get the fuck out of here. Like, you are not who we expected to find here. I'm not going to lie, I'm still kind of sh- Reed fucking made it. Yeah, he was like one of the main dudes. Fucking Reed. Like, he was the dude. Yeah, well, Reed was Reed was the one who was just chilling at the fort, fucking eating nuts and berries and Being an fucking squash. Also, they get found by, like, Native Americans, and the Native Americans to were be, like, yeah. To be fair, Reed got exiled by the rest of the party, so he was like, fine, fuck y'all, I'll leave on my own. And he got oh, that's right. I remember that. I remember his wife got hit. There was a whole thing. He killed the guy, and they were like, get out of here. And he goes, all right, fine. He's also so, the guy so he got out of there on his own, and then he gets there and he goes, "You know what? I should go back to them." So honestly, he might not really that bad of a guy. They kicked him out, and he still wanted to go back to them. I mean, to be fair, he was the one that didn't have anything, and then he was like, "We should all." Right, to be fair, he did try to take all the resources, and he killed the guy, and he's the reason that they went on this path. So, and then at the end of the day, wait, like, wait, he out wait. alive. I and thought like, Hastings was the reason they went on that path. No, it was Reed. Hastings, the one who wrote the letters, right? Hastings told them, you guys should take this route. That's right. Reed's friend ran to Reed and said, hey, don't go that way. It's bad. And Reed told the whole group, we're going to go this way. It's good. That's right. And convinced, and and, and convinced, convinced them to go that way. And to they, the, and they yeah. exactly, and they did, and now they're yeah. in this because, predicament. Because Reed was the guy that was like, oh, he's the top, Donner's the bottom. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. What and, and we come back to Hardcock. And, and then he just leaves because, anyway, that's it. This is all nuts. Dude, this is the craziest history story I think that you have Everett and we I will be honest I love, crazy ones. I love Albert Spaggiari I will hands down say that's probably one of my favorites eh, I like Joan of Arc but <laughs> that's because that, that one was mine but that's your this baby. one pretty crazy dude, this is the ugh, this might be my favorite so two of the guides then abandoned Reed and McCutcheon and took some of the horses back to the fort the rest of the search party continued on into the hills. When they reached a point where they could see Immigrant Peak, they saw that the pass was still completely blocked by snow. Both men were reportedly overtaken by sorrow, by sorrow when they saw that there was no chance of getting back to their loved ones. With no other option, they returned to the fort defeated and dejected. 
With the Mexican-American War still ongoing, supplies and able-bodied men were in short supply. Reed continued to try to find volunteers and support to put together another rescue party. By now it was February and news had broken about how members of the snowshoe party had made it out, but that they came to an extremely, or, but th that it came at an extremely high price. The stories made the people of San Jose, where Reed was trying to get help, sym sympathetic to the trapped and starving Donner party. Mm -hmm. So Reed's kind of a hero at this, man. Reed is actually turning things around. He is becoming, he's going from dickhead to hero. It's like a redemption arc. Okay, have you have you all ever watched Game of Thrones? I love mm -hmm. Game of Thrones, but you know, John, you know what I'm up to? Zero to hero and just like that. Zero yeah. to hero and that's <laughs> a fact. Anyway, I'm going to drink. <laughs> My hero, zero. That's my bad. <laughs> I don't know what song you were singing, man, but it was all right. Oh, you don't know that you. one? It's from Hercules. Yeah, so you haven't seen Hercules? Which Hercules? The Disney Hercules. Yeah. Dude, uh, I have, man, but I don't know those songs, man. <laughs> I am on my way. I can go the distance. I'll be there someday if I can be strong. All right. Well, while you're drinking and singing Hercules songs, I'm going to read this paragraph. Please do. All right. The San Jose residents petitioned the Navy to help and raise $1,300 or $37,000 in today's money. This money was used to set up two supply clamps for rescuers on the path that they would use to bring the Donner party down from the mountains. On February 4th, 10 men set out on a rescue mission to the lake camp. William Eddy was one of the 10, but he stopped at one of the supply, supply camps to hunt and make sure that there would be plenty of resources for the rescuers' return. Heavy rains began and caused the river that the rescue team was trying to cross to swell and flood. After being delayed a few days, they were able to cross the river but they were soon caught up in some heavy snowstorms and three of the men turned back and returned home. The other men pressed on without them. On February 18th, the rescue party made it over Fremont Pass, now known as Donner Pass, and as soon as they drew near to where William Eddy told them the cabins would be, they began to yell and shout in hopes that the survivors, if there were any, would respond. After a few minutes, Mrs. Murphy appeared out of a hole in the snow and stared at them in disbelief. She asked them, are you men from California or do you come from heaven? Dude, that's a great line. Do you come not, from heaven? Is that not a, how dramatic is that shit, too? That's, that is, that's also real as shit. Hey, you know what that reminds me of? Y'all ever seen Red Dawn back in the 80s? With yeah, like the a, original? Oh, Dude, it reminds me of like when those kids just pop out of the snow with the fucking yeah. machine guns and gun down the Russians and shit in the middle of the mountain. Old Miss Murphy just pops out fucking with like a fucking like a, a Salvador bone that she's been gnawing on and shit. Just fucking licking on some Luis jerky. Well, and actually, fucking, like, she got uh, the, you, you got the names wrong, but you were not far off the plot there. How did I get the names wrong? Salvador and Luis were, they left at the snowshoe party. Salvador and Luis got fucking murdered, bro. Yeah, but they were not at the lake camp. Oh, you are right. 
Wait, tell- so this is a different camp? So the, the snowshoe party left the lake camp where Miss Murphy is at. So they went on, they, they struck out on their own. Yeah, they left on their own and they so got out the- while the people at the lake camp stayed Fort behind. Me. So did the people at the lake camp, were they, were they cannibals too? We're so about to find out. So I think oh, the people sure. at the lake camp were the ones eating each other. I could be wrong. As the snowshoe party did. Oh, okay. Well, let's read, well, let's read that part, John. I want to know what happens. The, uh, the rescuers then gave out small bits of food to the survivors as they were afraid that large amounts would kill them. The rescuers later noted how bad it smelled at the camp. The smell from the rotting oxhide roofs mixed with the 13 dead bodies that had been loosely buried in the snow next to the cabin roofs made some of the men sick. Three of the rescuers hiked down to where the Donner family was camped. They brought back three adults, including Leanna Donner, who was so weak <clears throat> that she could barely walk, and four children. George Donner's infection had spread, and his arm was so gangrenous that he could no longer even move. 23 people were selected to go with the rescuers, and 21 would stay at the lake camp, while 12 more would stay at the Donner camp. The survivors asked about the snowshoe party, but the rescuers didn't want to tell them the truth until they were all safely out of the mountains. They simply told them that the snowshoe party wasn't able to come rescue them due to frostbite. Oh man, this is about to get real bad. It's about to get fucking real bad. Oh god. Don't, don't make us wait there. Well, oh, keep reading. So, two, two of the re children selected to go with the rescuers were too weak to walk over the pass and had to go back to the lake camp. Margaret Reed now had to decide whether she was going to go back to the camp with her two younger children or to continue on with her two older children. In the end, she decided to continue down the mountain with her older children. Patty Reed is quoted as telling her mother, and I quote, Well, mother, if you never see me again, do the best you can, end quote. When the children returned to the Breen cabin, they were, de- they were refused entry until the rescuers that escorted them back offered to leave more food with the children. So when they reached the uh, rescuers' first food cache, they discovered that wild animal- animals had gotten into it and they had to press on for four more days without food. John Denton had been struggling to keep up. Is that right? Yeah. John Denton yep. had had been struggling to keep up and the lack of food finally became too much. He fell into a coma and he died. Young Ada Kessenberg was the next to die and her mother was distressed that she had refused to let go of her daughter's body. When the hunger became too much, some of the starving survivors ate the bottoms of one of the rescuers' pants and the shoelaces of another. The rescuers were so shocked that they just stared at them in disbelief. Dude. Yeah, they're like, this person is literally eating my pant legs right now. And they didn't even know what to do. I'm uh, sure. Uh, Imagine I just being gotta, I gotta that, press I'll, 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 I will drink easily on this. Imagine being that hungry that you will eat the pants off of somebody. You're literally eating somebody's pants and shoelaces while they're standing there. Cheers. I will. Yeah. Cheers to that. Oh, my goodness. None of us can even comprehend that. I got to press forward, man. This is fucked up. Nor would I ever want to. 
man, I thought we were going to be all partying. Like, yeah, history, what's up? Yeah, it's that. kind of a dark, kind of a dark episode to party. We can party afterwards. No, I can't. We'll, we'll we can party on the, the crusades. I gotta go to bed and have <laughs> nightmares of no fucking Dude, storms. It, it and only animals. gets worse. God. Okay, on their way down the mountain, they ran into the second rescue party led by Reed and McCutcheon. When Marguerite heard her husband's voice, she fell in the snow and cried, completely overwhelmed by her emotions. When they made it safely to Bear Valley, William Hook, Jacob Donner's stepson, broke into the food stores and ate so much food that he died. After resting for a little bit, the rescuers then led the remaining survivors to Sutter's Fort. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. Dude, that but I sucks think, so, but he no, finally sees food. I, I He's know. like, I'm just going to eat all of it. But with that fucking dude, I just keep picturing Augustus Gloob. I know this dude doesn't look like him and shit, but he's like, uh, I want it now, Mr. Wonka, and he just falls into the chocolate river. Anyway, so on March 1st, James Reed and William McCutcheon led the second rescue party into the lake camp. Reed was finally able to see his other daughter, Patty, and his son, Tommy. The brains, despite initially refusing to care for them, actually took excellent care of the two children. When the rescuers made it to the Murphy cabin, they saw what was described by author George R. Stewart as past the limits of description and almost of imagination. Dude, like Willy Wonka, pure imagination. Anyway, pure imagination. Levina Murphy was taking care of her own eight-year-old son and the two children of William Eddy. She was nearly blind and her mind seemed to have been broken from the stress of her situation. Louis Kessberg had also moved into her cabin from his lean-to and he could hardly move due to his injured leg. All right. As the rescuers were in the camp talking to some of the survivors, they were approached by Patrick Breen. He told them that Miss Murphy had come to him and confided in him that she was considering cooking the flesh of Milt Elliott so she and the children would, wouldn't starve. Reed and McCutcheon then searched for and found Elliott's mutilated body and noted the teeth marks on some of his bones. Two members of the search party traveled down to the Donner camp, and the first person they saw was Jean-Baptiste Trudeau carrying a human leg. When he saw the men, he quickly tossed the leg into a hole that contained the butchered body of Jacob Donner. When the rescuers entered the Donner family tent, they saw a gaunt and frail-looking Elizabeth Donner feeding her children the organs of their father so they wouldn't starve. The rescuers then discovered that three other people had been eaten before they started on Jacob. In the next tent, they found Tamsin and George Donner. Tamsin seemed to be in good health, but George was in really rough shape and appeared close to death as the infection had now spread past his shoulder. Holy shit. Yeah, you thought things were bad before. It's just... The second relief party left the late camp with 17 more people. Fourteen of them were children, including seven of them that were five years, five years old or younger. I just can't. Only five people stayed behind at the lake camp. Kesberg, Mrs. Murphy, her son Simon, and the two young Eddie and foster children all stayed in the Murphy cabin to await the next rescue party. Can you believe it? Can you even believe that? George, Tams, George and Tamsin Donner would stay behind at their camp along with their three daughters before leaving. Reed informed them that the third rescue party would be there soon. The party was making slow progress over the pass and the survivors were completely exhausted 
and didn't have the energy to keep moving. So Reed sent two men ahead to gather the food from their first cache. After the two men left, the remaining party was caught in a sudden and violent blizzard. Five-year-old Isaac Donner froze to death, and James Donner almost died as well. Sorry, that's supposed to be James James Reed. Oh, sorry. My, that's my bad. I wrote that wrong. Like I was going to say, I don't know why I apologize. That's yeah, I didn't even know who James that's, Donner that, was. Mary Donner was so frostbitten that she fell asleep with her feet in the fire and severely burned them. So another story about that. Um, I don't. I know William McCutcheon also fell asleep with his back to a fire and lit his back on fire. Um, it was so cold. But I don't. I know that story from a a different excerpt that I read, and I don't know where if it was when he went to Sutter's Fort the first time, when he was returning, when it was when he came back with the rescue party. I don't know when it was, but he also lit himself on fire at some point. So it was so cold that at least two members lit themselves on fire and did not even know it. Didn't even realize. Yep. Which kind of goes back to like what we're talking about, where you probably feel like you're burning up, you know. Right. Hypothermia. Like once you get to a certain level of hypothermia, your body literally thinks that you're you're burning up. Yeah, but she severely burned her feet and still had to walk out of the mountains. That's so nuts, dude. To be that child, to be, I will not. Most of these, half of these children were my kids' age and younger. I cannot imagine my kids having to do that. So crazy. Oh, after the storm had passed, both the Graves and Breen families were too weak to leave camp. The rescuers had no choice but to leave them behind and try and save the others. Margaret Breed reportedly did everything she could do to keep everyone at what would become known as Starved Camp alive. Not long after the rescuers left with Elizabeth Graves and her son Franklin died to starvation and exhaustion. Before the third party could reach him, they had eaten the bodies of their three fellow travelers. Wow. Three members of the second rescue party had stayed behind at the camps to help keep the remaining pioneers alive. Charles Stone stayed at the late camp while Charles Cady and Nicholas Clark were at the Donner camp. One day when Clark left camp to go hunting, Stone left his post at the late camp and met with Cady about leaving the survivors and going home. Tamson Donner pleaded for the two men to take her three daughters with them, and she supposedly paid them $500 to do it. Only wanted to know what happens with these three daughters, man. Well, Shit. it's not as bad as you would expect. Oh, okay. Like at this point, did they even have any money? Like, no, they had money, but it wasn't worth anything. So they had cash with them, but it wasn't worth anything because they needed food and because you're you're in the you're in the wilderness. Yeah, all you can do with that money is burn it. I mean, it's literally it's not worth anything. Just cash. Stone and Caddy took the girls with them from the Donner camp, but then left them at the Murphy cabin at the Lake camp. Stone and Caddy then passed the starved camp and offered them no help. A few days later, they overtook the Reed and and McCutcheon party and again offered no help. A few days later, Clark and Trudeau also left the Donner camp. But but when they made it to the late camp and discovered that the Donner Donner daughters were at the Murphy cabin, they returned to Tamsin Donner and, and informed her of what had happened and decided to stay to help. Wow. So two survivors of the snowshoe party 
William Eddy and William Foster for staying at one of the base camps when they decided they couldn't take it any longer and set off up the mountain in the hopes of encountering Rita and McCutcheon. After only one day on the trail, they found the rescue party struggling down the hill. Most of them were frostbitten so badly that they were bleeding, but they were all alive and moving. Reed informed Eddie and Foster of the families at Starved Camp. Quote unquote. The two men became frantic and somehow convinced some of the men in the second rescue party to go back up the mountain with them to rescue their families. They soon found the 11 members at the Starved Camp and two of the rescue Rescuers each grabbed a small child and started carrying them back down the mountain to safety. Foster and Eddie continued on to the lake camp with another rescuer, while another man named John Stark stayed behind with the remaining Graves and Breen families. He managed to get them, all of them, they were nine, up to safety by himself. Sometimes he would even carry one of the children five to ten yards and put them down before going back for another, and he did this all the way down the mountain until they were all safe. So, John Stark is a fucking legend. What a fucking dude. Dude, dude, he fucking, he played in the 1994 NBA Finals with Patrick Ewan against um, the Kima Lajuan of the Rockets, and well, I John Stark. I, I love went Speaking of Game of Thrones, all I could think is, you know nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Ah, John Starks, man. Look at that dude. John Starks, he was the point guard for the Knicks when they were in the finals in 1994. Yeah, it's before my time, and I was two. What a fucking. Sorry. I'm, the, I'm the baby of the group today. Normally it's Jacob, but it's, it's me today. I know. Usually I'm the old guy. Yeah, man. I, I, got, I got the NBA uh, history going, man. All right, so when Foster and Eddie made it to the lake camp, they found their children were dead. Kaseberg admitted to Eddie that he had eaten his son. Eddie swore he would kill Kaseberg if he ever saw the man in California. Tamsin Donner had just arrived at the lake camp to check on her daughters, and she sent the three of them with Foster and Eddie before returning to her husband at their camp. Eddie tried to convince her to come with them and told her that another rescue party wouldn't be coming for a very long time, but she refused. Foster and Eddie set off down the mountain with the three Donner daughters, Simon Murphy, Trudeau, and Clark. All that were left behind was a very near death, Levina, Murphy, and Kesselberg in one cabin, and Tamsin and George Donner in their tent. After Eddie and Foster made it back to Bear Valley 2, more rescue parties were put together to try and reach the remaining members of the Donner party. Neither one of the parties even made it to Bear Valley before they gave up. On April 10th, almost a month since the third party made it back to Sutter's Ford, a salvage party was put together to try and recover some of the Donner Party's belongings so they could sell some of it to support the surviving families and the orphaned Donner children. Yeah, there, there you go. It's, they're like, it's middle of April now. There's nobody left there. We're just going to go and see if we can collect some of their belongings and maybe sell it because... These people essentially have nothing. Like these children were just like, like they lived, but they they have nothing. They have nothing. They have no parents. They have no family now. I mean, they they are alone. Yowza. The salvage party went to the Donner camp first, and all they found was the body of George Donner. 
who had probably died only a few days before their arrival. When they made it to the lake camp, they found Louis Kiesberg alive in the Murphy cabin. He claimed that Miss Murphy had died within a week of the third party leaving. Then, Tamsin Donner supposedly made her way to his cabin after her husband died. He told the salvage crew that he gave her a blanket and told her to leave in the morning, but that she died in the middle of the night. The men were extremely suspicious of Kiesberg and threatened to lynch him when they found a pot full of human flesh, George Donner's pistols, jewelry, and $250 worth of gold in the cabin. He told them that he didn't steal it, but that Tamsin Donner gave it to him so that he might help her daughters one day, which contradicts her plan of leaving in the morning. And instead of lynching him, the rescuers decided they would let they would take him to California and let the authorities deal with him. Yikes. Yeah, so that's a little suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. And drink. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. All right. We're almost done, guys. We've almost nailed this. On the way down the mountain, the sav the on the way down the mountain, the salvage party ran into journalist Samuel Brannon, who then spread the news of what had happened. By July of 1847. News had reached New York, and the stories were different depending on which paper people chose to read. Some stories made the Donners into heroes, while others depicted them as bloodthirsty satanic cannibals. So it's like today, Fox and CNN. It depends on which side you want to listen to. So in June of 1847, members of the Mormon Battalion under the General Stephen Kearney took the link camp to the, bury the bodies of the dead and destroy the cabins. Fun fact about the Mormon battalion, uh, they are the only religious unit of one faith to receive a title in U.S. military history. So, I mean, that's actually kind of like... It is kind of cool. I was it's pretty looking neat. Up and it's like, yeah, it's pretty unique. There was never, you know, they were never like, oh, it's the presbyterian battalion you know like the mormons right, were the right. only ones that got their own battalion southern baptist battalion never exactly <laughs> yeah exactly that's how i was raised so um so out of the 90 people 90 people in the dawn so then, uh, real quick before i said this the numbers are different i added three more to it because we're counting people that um we're counting the mother-in-law started the trip with them and we're counting Luis and Salvador because okay. they were also That's... there but the official numbers are only 87 not 90. Why wouldn't they it... include my, 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 my man Luis or Salvador? Because they didn't oh. start the journey with them so but man the those dudes did. were the, the only numbers, ones who I, think, want to be I think the official numbers are messed up I think the mother-in-law should be in the group because she started with them she died first and Luis and Salvador were there for one of the most horrible parts of it, so they should also count. And they should also count, yeah. But out of the questionable number of people in the Donner Party, only 48 of them survived. The Breens and Reeds were the only two families to make it out of California without losing, without losing any members of their families. Out of all of the animals that made the trip, only three mules survived. The trip to California. Well, you know what? Good for those jackasses. Good for those asses. 
like those dudes that. probably like bailed early, man. Like, also, fuck Reed, man. Like I know that we got around like and be like, Ooh, it's cool. Like, what are you talking his, about, it, man? It, he it he went back and fault, saved those people. But it is his fault they went that way in the first place. Exactly. Right. This motherfucker was like he was uh, warned by someone who he knew personally to not go that way, and he was like, you know what? We're gonna do it. The hey, guy was but, like, look, man, on, I've taken this road twice. Don't do it. But, but hold on, hold on, hold on. How do we know that the person who told him not to go that way wasn't even a slimier fucking snake salesman than Hastings? I mean, that's fair. Because he's described as an old friend. You wouldn't describe someone who's a slimy piece of shit as an old friend. You would say an acquaintance. What if you red buttons? Someone that he had served in a war with. They would say someone he had known, not an old friend. I mean, either uh, way... True, true, true. I'm just trying. I'm just okay. trying to rationalize shit, man. No, no, I, I, I think they saw the shortcut. They they took the 350 mile. They go 350 miles off the trip is going to save us a lot of time. And then you know how men are. Like once we kind of get on something, we don't want to admit that we're wrong. And they're just like, it's still a shortcut. And it's still a shortcut. It's still a shortcut. We're going to get through it. And then you know, by the time they realized, it was just way too late. And it just boggles my mind that the reeds made it like the reeds are like you know what we're the ones who started this shit whatevs we got we got ousted because my wife got hit in the face well just james did the rest of the family got to stay he was the only one forced to leave oh that's true but it's still all right we're near the end my bad didn't mean near the end all of the families live very different lives once they made it to california the Reeds took in two of the Donner girls and settled in San Jose. Reed ended up joining the California Gold Rush and did very well for himself and his family. Mary Graves got married after arriving in California, but her husband was murdered only a little while later. While his killer was in prison, Mary cooked for him every day since she didn't want him to starve before he was hanged. That trauma, deep-rooted trauma. Dude. William Eddie Ooh. remarried and started a family. He was planning to murder Louis Kesselberg for eating his son before James Reed and Edward Bryant were able to talk him out of it. Kesselberg took some of the members of the Donner Party to court for defamation after they claimed he murdered Tamsin Donner so he could eat her. The court ended up siding with Kesselberg but only awarded $1 and made him pay all the court costs. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> That's poetic justice right there. They're just like, all right, man, we side with you. Here's one dollar. By the way, you gotta pay the court costs for all of them and yourself. That's nuts. Peaceberg had many jobs after reaching California. He was a ship captain hauling wheat for John Sutter and then got into gold mining after that. He ended up making a small fortune in the gold rush and bought a hotel called the Lady Adams in Sacramento but it burned down a year later. He then bought a restaurant, which is where the rumor of a Donner Party cannibal opening a restaurant and becoming a cook comes from. But he decided to turn it into a brewery, which he named Phoenix. His brewery is credited with bringing the lager-style beer to California. Peaceburg would end up having eight more daughters, but he would outlive seven of them before he died in a hospital for the poor. Before his death, historian Charles Fayette McGlashan set up a meeting between Keesburg and Eliza Donner, one of the three Donner daughters. 
after talking to Kiesberg, both Eliza and McGlashan believe that Kiesberg was innocent. So McGlashan wanted to put up a monument to honor the Donner Party. And in 1918, he was able to acquire land around where the Breen cabin was thought to have been located and a statue of a pioneer family was put up. In 1927, the state created Donner Memorial State Park. The park gets an estimated 200,000 visitors each year. So I've been to this park before. Um, there's a campground there. Um, I was pretty young when we went there. I was maybe like 12. But I remember riding our, our bikes, which was a big thing we did. We went, there's like campgrounds that they're all over the place in the Sierra Nevadas. And right. I rode down to this this place, and I remember seeing the boulder for one of the cabins. And there's a a, a list of names on it, people that died there. And the state actually had to defend their reasoning for putting the names. Some people were like, "That's really morbid." And the state was like, "Yeah, something significant happened here." So right. We we think that it's appropriate. Actually, you think it's morbid, but we actually think it's appropriate, which. I, for once, agree with California. I think it's appropriate. I mean, um, I think that's, that's, it's historical. It is. It's, so you, you go down the path, um, which you can go to Donner Lake. I mean, you can, you can go there now and there's a campground there. You can literally camp where the Donners, well, not, well, yeah, probably where the Donners are too, but you can literally camp where this stuff happened. Um, I forgot that there was a lake full of trout that no one could catch. Yeah, like no, you can. Until you said lake, I was like, that's no, right. dude. There, dude, there's a bike path around it. There's RV slots for it. I mean, you can camp there now. People go there and camp all the time. No so thing. we we rode our bikes to this monument, and it's um, I want to say it's 27 feet high. So it's a bunch of rocks piled up 27 feet high, and on top of it is a pioneer family. And it, I think it's, I could be wrong, I think it's 27 feet, and that's to symbolize how high the snow was, was 27 feet. And that's why they couldn't get through the pass, was because it was 27 feet. Um, yeah, I believe that. I, I think that starting out, Right. This this story had such a wild twist. So you start out with like, oh, they're late. They're going to catch up. And Brenda and Becky slept in and they have to go to Starbucks and they'll catch up with the rest right, of the group. Right. And then you get to a point where it's like. They were told that this was going to be a quicker route. Which it was not at all. They had no idea. And like you were saying, they're like Europeans. They're trusting. Fleeing from the East Coast because of the bullshit that is happening to Eastern Europeans at the time. Well, and not just that, but some of them were also not good. And they were saying, we we own this land. It's ours. I mean, that's also true. And so you, you get like a picture of like good and bad. And really bad decisions made by all parties. And then they wind up in this situation that is... Um, I think he's asleep. Will! Hey, what's up? You asleep? Yeah, dude, I fell asleep. Yeah, you were snoring. 
I got all sad and depressed for these fucking little kids and shit that didn't want to be there. It's crazy. Like, yeah, of course they didn't want to be there. Fucking intense. <laughs> I was going to include a list of all the people that died, but I was like, it's like, eh. I was like, it's like 43 people. Like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> That's too much. Well, you could have just listed the kids who died. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, this is probably the darkest episode we've ever had. Really dark. Like, Thanks a lot for inviting me on this one, man. Why don't y'all invite me for the Holocaust next, man? That'll be great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Or, or like the Armenian <laughs> genocide. That'll be good. Yeah, things for all the other ones who've done like Loch Ness, Admiral Byrd, Blackbeard, Green Children, John of Arc. They've all been like, it's all a dark moments, but they're all like fairly funny moments and stuff in them like well and you kind of know that at the end of the day that it's gonna be okay right yeah this one is mostly well, like you know uh, how this people dying is, yeah. and cannibalism this one was like people ate each other so weird. like this story was so fascinating donner everyone knows the donner pardon at least in northern california because they're pioneers we all came from those pioneers like the, the fucking so streets we, are named after them so we, yeah, exactly. Uh, hey. So actually, right by where my grandparents live, there's a whole bunch of like street names that are about stuff like this. I mean, it's, I just, I thought everybody knew about this, but apparently from the West Coast, like we know about it, but everybody east of it, they don't know. So, no, so what, what we do at the end of the episodes now is we rate them based on historical significance um a one to ten scale on historical significance okay so uh y'all go first i'll follow i guess i'll I'll go first in the grand scheme of things um it's hard for me to give this an accurate number because it was something that i grew up with and the history of so for me like if you would ask me back in the day i would have given it an eight but you guys didn't even like know about this so right. that, and, and really, that knocks me down of, from an eight to like. A I have a degree in history. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I I knew about it. Like I had heard. Right, but not school, like, but not to the extent that you taught me. So I think it in significance because you're you're dropping it from an eight to a two or a three, really. Okay. So I will go and I will say that like it's insignificance, especially because it kind of opens your eyes to the Oregon Trail and what that ensued. Um, you have the the gold rush about to happen in California. I'm also but that's a, not but that doesn't this doesn't directly correlate to that. Which uh, is true because it, 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 as a standalone incident, as a standalone, I'll give it a good six, dude. Like, oh, you're you're way too hot. Yeah, I, I no, because here's the thing: it's like I grew up knowing about it, and I can tell you, like, before this episode, I literally thought, like, oh, this is a bunch of people who got stuck in a snow pass, and I, once again, I live in still, still I, and again, my my version that we did here today is also a dumbed down version of right the actual incidents. And what really happened was far more intricate than what we right. covered. One coming from you know because I've I've lived in a snowy climate my whole life and I know how quick that can turn on you. 
and how treacherous it can become. I think that a five, because I knew I knew that like there were these people who got stuck in a pass and then they ate each other. Like I knew that. Like I grew up hearing something about it. Right. So for me, it's like that's that's a solid five. I think for me, maybe not so much for other people. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go. Th- I'm gonna go three. All right, that's fair. All right, and, and so I'm I'm just gonna look at this as a history teacher, right? Mm-hmm. All right, and so I have to look when I so I'm not the 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 story is an interesting story, right? And mm-hmm. so the story itself, I would give him a seven, an eight, a nine, whatever, right? Okay. Right. Historical significance a one. It's 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 a footnote about a time, but like the Donner Party themselves, they're not Lewis and Clark. They didn't carve a path out. You know what I mean? Right. They or, took a or, bad or, path and got screwed yeah, that's because great. of it. You see what you see what I'm saying? They're not they're not the Chinese building the railroads and reimagining right. the West. They're not the invention of barbed wire. They're not um they're not the cattle trails that led from San Antonio all the way north. Um so they're not the um the the um like the Indian Wars that happened to help settle West. Manifest Destiny itself is the big issue that merits a six, a seven, an eight. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and they were just a small part of it that backfired on them. Literally a small footnote that matters to a few people in California. And I say few, I'm talking, you know, millions maybe. It's still in what the bigger concepts, which would rank much higher, are. Yep. I, Does that make sense? I 100%. Yeah, no, I can go with that. I thought I thought my three was extraordinarily generous. Yeah. And so what I'm saying is that the story itself is like a one. Yeah, I was going to say, as on a, on a scale of one to ten for like a crazy story rating, I'm going to give it an eight. Yeah. Like cool. the story is fucking nuts, dude. Like... Hey, guys, real quick before we go. We want to give a shout out to all good folks who produce and perform the music on the show. We also want to let you know that we have a merch store where you can get some cool shirts, stickers, posters, and mugs. So head on over to historyuntappedstore.org and check it out. Thanks for listening. Love you. Bye.